Hi, my name's Steve Claridge. You're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome, and it was good to hear this in some downs across the National League on Saturday. And it was interesting watching watching the highlights on Saturday and the cheers seem to be extra loud and it's great. It's not just going to football, it's the social side as well. Maybe you go with a family or see your mates that you only see at the football. So hopefully we're heading our way back to normality. I'm Lee Edwards. this is the NL Full Time and joining me as always is Rob Laurel. Hello Rob. Yeah, hi Luke, hi guys. And we've also got Dicky here with us as well, wearing his Telford top and his initials on, looking very like a coach today. Hiya, Dicky. Yeah, good morning, Luke. Nice to speak to you as always. He shook, he shook his head, thing. You should have seen his face. And we've also <laughs> I got... might be driving the coach, but not coaching anything, yeah. <laughs> and we've also got Tom Lang with us this morning. Hiya, Tom. Hi, guys. Nice to see you all. And happy birthday for last week. Thank you very much. And also joining us, we have got... The special guest, the new Chesterfield boss, James Rowe. Hiya, James. How you doing, Luke? You okay? Yeah, really good. Cheers. Good, good. And, um, Hi, Tom, Rob, Dickie. How you doing? All good to see you. Good to speak to you. It's, been, uh, it's fair to say, James, it's been a whirlwind sort of couple of weeks for you, hasn't it? It has, yeah. To think that I've only been in the, uh, the building as such for, what, nine days now. Um, it has been a bit of a whirlwind. A lot going on. We obviously had two games, but probably a little bit of a blessing the game was off yesterday in a sense we, we obviously have got momentum uh, so not good in that sense but gives me a little breather uh, to take breath and obviously probably look for some accommodation as well <laughs> Funny enough I was going to ask you about that was that I know it was obviously unfortunate that the game was called off due to Covid but did it help you in that way you know because obviously it just gave you time to take stock Yeah it did and, and obviously I'm in a hotel at the moment so um, like I said it's good to you know, trying to find a property for myself and, and get settled in the area because obviously I'm moving closer to, to the ground. Yeah, been, well, I presume you've been doing quite a bit of travelling recently because obviously you moved to Gloucester and then you're moving up north now. It's been, uh, it's fair to say, it's been an eventful year for you, hasn't it? It has, yeah. And, you know, the unpredictability of football. Obviously, I was very happy at Gloucester. We were flying high um, as such when, when Chesterfield made contact. But uh, after weighing up my options and speaking to to the board, the new board at Chesterfield, Mike and, and John in particular, uh, they were fantastic and I just felt it was a too good opportunity to turn down. It must have been a hard, hard opportunity to turn down because like you say, you, you built, I spoke to you in the pre-season podcast, you built those foundations, you said you built some building blocks at Gloucester, got everything in place and, and you started the season really well, hadn't you? We had, I think it was um, probably beyond my expectations really. We knew we had a strong squad at Gloucester and I think I've said it in my first press conference. I hope they go on and win it now. Um, I know results haven't been too great since I've left, but they picked up a good point against Boston, I saw. Um, and hopefully that they can get going again because I only want the best for my for the previous clubs that I've worked at, which obviously Tuesday I said there's mixed emotions with Aldershot because you know I've got a great affinity with the supporters still there. They Many of them are still in touch. Uh, so, yeah, obviously I wanted the three points for Chesterfield on Tuesday and probably deserved them. But I want the best for Aldershot as well. Yeah, I heard, heard you say, Robin, your commentary that Chesterfield, it was a dominant performance from him, even though it was nil-nil. Yeah, it was very odd. I said to James that he probably wouldn't have known that the season before, Aldershot had played Chesterfield off the park, created 21 chances and lost 2-1. And so it, it, it kind of felt 
a sense of balance about it, but he won't have done to James. His side were the better side on the night. and uh, But for a man-of-the-match performance from Aldershot and goalkeeper uh, Brad James, uh, Chesterfield would have had six out of six under yourself, James. I know, um, I mean, you spent enough time working with Gary Waddock, so uh, you'll, you'll know the well-worn phrase, never underestimate a point. <laughs> no, definitely. And you backed it up with a win yesterday, I see. So it makes a, a great point for you guys, isn't it? It was. It was a much better performance yesterday. We'll come to that in, in, in due course. Every manager I know likes to be his own person, James, but you've had a, a plethora of different experiences in football. Obviously, you spent um, a, quite a lot of time at West Ham, at Birmingham. Um, you would have picked up a lot along the way. Uh, and then, obviously, a couple of three years with uh, alongside, uh, a couple of years, sorry, alongside um, Gary Waddock. What do you try and do? Do you just try and take the best bits from all of those? Make sure you don't follow any of the bad examples you had and, and then just add your own stamp to it? Well, I've got my own uh, identity and how I see the game. Um, probably every coach has, but there isn't a holy grail to any playing philosophy. And anyone that says that there is, is telling fibs. There is no right way of playing. I saw Sutton play a certain way yesterday and it's very effective and they're now second in the league. They're very organised, 4-4-2. Uh, front two causing a lot of problems and obviously Eastman's experience. So, Looking at them, they play a certain way and um, I play a different way to that. But um, there's no holy grail and you, you pick up things along the way, which I have. But at the centre of that is my own coaching values, my own philosophy. And um, you add things quite rightly and you see things perhaps that you wouldn't want to do. But that's not to say that they're wrong. The previous coaches I've worked with, it's just their way. And I'm finding my way now and um, it's led me to Chesterfield. So you, uh, you find yourself with an interesting uh, predicament in the way that you want to play football and then... You come in to a club where you've got somebody like Tom Denton, who's a little bit different to most. Um, we, we've all said on the podcast, he's actually quite a good footballer to his feet as well, not just the big guy up top. But um, I guess from your point of view, it's ideal, isn't it? Because you've got different ways that you can win football matches and different ways that you can change within a football match. Yeah, for sure. At the centre of my coaching value, values are individuality is individuality. So it's in, it's ensuring that the players know that they've got weapons themselves. So Tom, you're never going to run the channels with Tom. I'm not doing him a disservice in saying that, but he's better than people give him credit into his body, into his feet, and he can link play. So yeah, aerially, of course, and we use that against Weymouth, and you probably saw on Tuesday night against Oldershot with Will hitting him on the diagonal. Um, that worked again, and, and the quality getting up the bits. But um, also we played into his feet a little bit, and he linked play quite well. So it's making sure you get the best out of the players you've got in the squad and, and we've got some good players and as a reminding them of that on my first day that come on let's uh, let's get the apathy gone let's get the weight of the shoulders uh, the weight of the world off your shoulders and let's have a go and let's see where we are at the end of the season yeah and we interviewed Tom Denning after that nil nil draw on Tuesday evening a tricky game that today I mean how many chances did you have in the end yeah we've had enough chances to probably win a couple of games and uh, we just said in there we've got to be a bit more ruthless in front of goal but that's first, probably one of his first clean sheets at season, so we've, we've built the positives of two unbeaten and obviously we're disappointed we haven't won yet. Yeah. I mean, is there a, a good feeling amongst the lads now? Um, James got his first win on Saturday, you lads got his first, uh, well, first win for for a while on Saturday. It must be a good feeling now. Yeah, he's, he's come in and he's uh, obviously a bright new manager and uh, we're listening to his ideas and, it, and we're enjoying coming into work now, so it's... Uh, yeah, it's obviously shown tonight and Saturday we've had a good win on Saturday and obviously should have won tonight but uh, pointing a clean sheet is uh, is what you start with and that's what we'll go on with. Yeah. 
and um, he had a, a couple of chances in the, in the first half as well. Couldn't quite get him on target tonight. Yeah, I've had uh, one. I was just leaning back and put it over, and then uh, keepers made a decent save off one as well, and then a couple in the second half, both cleared off the line. So I think with about two minutes to go, I think it, it just looked like it would have been one of them <laughs> nights. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've got um, you've got have you, you played Halifax yet? You've got plenty of your old clubs in in, the, in this division yet? How how does that feel um, when you when you come up against them? Yeah, I've played against Halifax a few times. I've scored. My first goal for Chesterfield were at, uh, were at Halifax, actually. So, yeah, I think we played them last game of the season, so I'm not sure when we're playing here. So, yeah, we're looking forward to playing against them, yeah. Cheers, Tom. Thanks. You made an interesting comment in that interview about how he, how they, they're all enjoying going into work now every day. How was it, James, when you walked into the building? Were the chins on the floor when you walked in? I think that a, li- a little bit. And also, I've noticed from my experience in the National League, some of the ex-league clubs or bigger clubs feel they have a divine right to, to gain promotion or shouldn't be at that level. And that can filter into the support base as well. So it's important that we realise, yes, Chesterfield are a big club, but there's other big clubs such as Wrexham, Notts County, I could go on in the league. It's important to realise you are where you are for a reason. And when you, when you realise that first, then you can start building and looking upwards. And we want to look upwards. We want to have some fun in the, in the environment. We want to make it a relaxed environment. But obviously, when they get to work, when they cross the line or we're in the analysis suite or whatever we're doing, we're working. And um, there's a healthy balance in the environment. That's what I want to bring to, to Chesterfield. We had it at Gloucester. We had it at Oldershot when I was the assistant. Um, and I think if you enjoy what you're doing, no matter what walk of life you, you, you're doing or whatever work you're doing, you get the best out of each other and you get your best out of yourself. So I think that's that's pretty a, a pretty important building block in any environment. Uh, yeah, and in terms of building blocks, you've also made the decision to bring some of the, the key personnel you have with you at Gloucester along to Chesterfield, thinking of Aquasi Asante particularly. Um, he scored 38 goals in the last three seasons across the Step 1 and Step 2 divisions. What do you think the ceiling is for a player like him and, and what can he bring to this Chesterfield side? Uh, well, he, he's a good age. He's in his peak peak ages, peak peak years. Um, I brought the Gloucester playing age down to 26.6. I think that's, that's important. And I'm going to have to do the same here at Chesterfield. I think that's not to say that the experienced players won't be around during my tenure. It's finding a balance to make sure you've got development players and also national league players and what I call EFL players. I think there needs to be a mix across the squads and that includes your age. Um, for the way I want to play and the intensity I want to play, we need legs and athleticism. He gives you that, but also he scores goals. Um, he's probably missed a few chances um, in the two games. He probably should have scored against Oldershot, the one that was cut back to him, to be honest. See him sort of tucking that away normally nine, nine times out of ten. And he had a few chances before he scored at Weymouth. Um, so the most important thing is he's getting in there. He'll continue to get in there, but he loves what he does. Um, he's in touch with the analysts always himself, which I find impressive to find out the strengths and weaknesses of the people that he's going against. I really like him as a, as a human being. So there's a mix there, really. Probably his human, human nature, who he is as a bloke, um, his athleticism and also his all-round play. And he's, he's obviously his goal-scoring record. So he's a good coup for us. And uh, James, as, 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 we, as you join us this morning, I know your, your uh, time's limited. You're busy preparing for Tuesday night and that game against Sutton. Might have been a, a, a very difficult game to come into first, hasn't it? You've got your four points out of six. You played two sides who were in the bottom half. But now you go toe-to-toe with a side sat second place. They've got uh, a, an average of more than two points a game this season. And they're a side that are very, very efficient under Matt Gray. And uh, 
they don't make many mistakes. And, and, and you and I and, and, and the boys on the podcast all know well, for all the good things that happen, it's eliminating errors that allow you to uh, have the foundation to, to get points in this league, isn't it? It is. He's done a, a great job, really. Um, he's obviously um, built it last year a little bit, Matt. And, and this year he's done fantastic with the group. And I think there will be top seven at the end of the year. What I saw yesterday, I went to the game. They impressed me. Um, got good athleticism, good structure, and uh, they look hungry. So, yeah, it's going to be a good challenge on their on their pitch. It's, it can be a level of their pitch, as we know. Uh, so we're looking forward to getting over there and we're in good spirits and obviously they're full of confidence so it should be a good game for the neutral So a photograph um, I'm not, I think somebody took it at the end of probably your first game in charge afterwards and, and there's a whole sea of media people gathered in front of you and a, um, I, I sense that with Chesterfield being a former league club that you're probably in a bit more of a goldfish bowl than maybe that the, the you were at Gloucester I mean um, but you back yourself to, to to, to handle all that and it, it, you do strike me as you know someone who doesn't back down from a challenge yeah pressure comes when you, you from yourself you only put pressure on yourself really if you feel it and all, all of that I think I said I think that was a good question to be honest uh, Dickie that that was asked to me in the in my first press conference obviously it is probably a step up in regards to the heritage of the club the support base um, but that doesn't phase me I just see it as information I'm obviously on Twitter only um, and you get interaction on there, but I'm quite comfortable with that. There's, you know, it's it's just information. And first and foremost, I always prepare. Nothing comes in between me and training um, and preparing for games. So that won't change. Um, the bits on the outside is always, you know, the, the good comments I've had and the supporters, the, the comments that I've seen has been fantastic. I know that can change quickly, but there has to be a level of um, sensibility with it. You know, we're going to have some losses. It's going to be some adversity. And you learn more about people when you come in adversity in life. So uh, there's no problem with that. And I'm just really looking forward to the challenge here uh, with George alongside me. I think we can um, we can get Chesterfield up higher in the league. But if that doesn't happen this year, we've got to make sure we're, we're in the league, first and foremost, because I know the position we're in. And then rebuild as we go. And um, hopefully next year will be uh, the upper echelons of the league but um, it's a very similar job to Gloucester but at a high level to be honest I've seen the message to Chesterfield fans and he's just be patient because I read their forum and like you say I think the ex sort of league thing they feel like they've got to do very right to get back in the football league and they need to do it like yesterday almost so I suppose there's just got to be that sort of calmness and realism about it hasn't there I think so and um, that comes from the top though and I think we've got a very sensible board in and out obviously the trust have come in Mike Goodwin he's very um they built a very good trust there with a good turnover and that's taking time and anything you do takes time and you get the rewards in the end. It's not just going to be instant success. So it's a case of not writing off this year because anything can happen. I know that in my first year at Oldershot, I think we're 15th at Christmas. We got in the playoffs, went on a great run. So anything's possible in this league. You can look at Altrincham, obviously a few weeks ago, they were in the lower bottom half and now they're, I think they're fifth, are they? Fourth or fifth? So. Yeah. You know, you get a run together at this at this level and you can really fly up the league. But at the same time, we've got to be realistic about it. You're quite right. And um, top half would be, would be a, a great season, I think. I think from where I've picked it up. Um, but let's see what happens over the next few weeks and over Christmas. You can certainly jump up the league over Christmas with the fixture congestion over that period. So let's see. But certainly we're looking upwards, not downwards. Great stuff. That's Thank great. you, James, for making a bit of time to join us this morning. And uh, we'll catch up with you and see how you're getting on later in the season. Yeah, no problem. Thanks, guys. Great to see you all again. All the best. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to look more in depth now at the National League. And there was a bit of daylight at the top of the National League 
with two teams pulling clear. Torquay beat Wrexham by three goals to one to go eight points clear of third place Notts County. Ben Wentfield scored the first. What a goal, by the way. And then Asa Hall and Connor Lemahay Evans scored the goals. And um, Torquay just keep going on and on and on. You were... It looked like they might drop points at Wealdstone in midweek, but they got a late winner there. And I think I put in the group, sign of champions when you do that, when you go somewhere like Wealdstone, fall behind and then come and get a late winner. A hundred percent. They literally got it going on at both ends right now, Torquay, haven't you? It's the dream start for Gary Johnson. Um, smashing the goals at one end and, and just nine goals conceded in 11 at the other. Uh, and they've got some good players, some of them in the best form of their life. I think Ben Whitfield already, in the opening couple of months of the season, has got his own goal of the season contest going on. Um, Tom, how impressed are you with the way that Torquay have not just come up to this level and equipped themselves well, but their second season now, and they're absolutely flying? Yeah, very impressed. I mean, I think it, impressed but tempered by a little bit that they should be. Um, I think... We talk about, you know, we've had that great conversation with James Rowe. We talk about the historic nature of Chesterfield. Well, Torquay are historically a league club um, and they should be looking to attack this division. Survival should never be the aim. First season, sure, you want to get there and establish yourself. But I think we always expect them to kick on, especially under a manager of Gary Johnson's experience. Um, and and as, you, as you completely rightly say, some of the players they brought in have a real element of quality to them. I think signing Asa Hall two seasons ago was really key for them. He's become an absolute bedrock in that midfield. Um, I really like one of the other goal scorers yesterday, Connor Lemonhay-Evans. Um, he was loaned from Bristol City last season. He's come in permanently this summer. And I think he's a real, um, you know, he's a, he's a difference maker. Um, I know they weren't happy about losing Calvin Lubombo Kalala. He obviously decided to step away this summer, but I think in Lemonhay Evans they have somebody who can replace what he offered to the team. Yeah, and I keep reading as well that people saying, "Oh, it won't last for Torquay," but you got to remember they've got a manager who's won this league twice, has he? I know he's won it once with Cheltenham. He, he, did he win it with Yeovil as well? Um, he certainly got so, but he certainly got the experience of winning the national league, hasn't he? Yeah, and he's got a nice balance as well of experience and. And youth and flair, it's, it does feel like the right mix. He knows how to construct a team, Gary Johnson, as you say. He's, uh, he, he's rightly done that on a couple of occasions. I think the only, and it won't matter too much because they continue to win football matches, but I've got a funny feeling that since Danny Wright came on the podcast, I don't think he scored. He's, he was on six goals then and he's still on six. But hey, uh, if he's not scoring, someone else is. In close pursuit, two points behind us, Sutton United on, on Tuesday. They got a great 1-0 win at Woking, thanks to a Harry Buterman penalty. And then on Saturday, they thumped an inform Solihull Moors by four goals to one. And we had Matt Gray on earlier in the season. He had that quiet confidence about him, but he even he must be sat home this weekend with a big beaming smile. And I know he called the performance uh, aggressive and on the front foot, and he, he was delighted. Been impressive, Tom, haven't they, under un, under Matt Gray this season, particularly. And one one player standing out yesterday, man of the match, one of the goals as well, someone you, you've seen a few times, David Adjiboy, he's, he's, he's in the form of his life, isn't he? He is, and well, I mean, he's been in the form of his life for, for about three seasons now. Um, I know I've spoken about him before, and I've, I've, I've been sort of following him since he was at Worthing in step three, where he just took that division by storm. Um, and I thought he was a really astute signing when Sutton picked him up. Um, and he's just adapted so well to this level. Um, I remember there was a televised game that Sutton had a few seasons ago. Um, and he, it was, a, it was against the league side in the FA Cup. And he was, just, he was just fantastic. I think he 
he's a small guy. He maybe doesn't look particularly physically well suited to this division, which, you know, we know this is a division of big players, strong uh, strong physical teams. But he's just so quick. He's got that incredible centre of gravity. You'll very rarely see him get knocked off the ball because of that. Um, and I just think he, he's a really enjoyable player to watch. He's a proper get the fans off their seats. And now that we're, we've got them back in the stadium, we can actually start using phrases like that again. So it's fantastic. Yeah, he's more head by at the minute, isn't he? Uh... <laughs> anyway, uh, I, saw a, <laughs> I saw a post on Facebook from Sutton fan Matthew Bravery. He said the biggest test will come next week against Stockport. And basically, they will need Bravery next week, won't they, to get something from Stockport? Um, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you would think so, but. Um... Uh, you know they, they, they're in good form at the moment. They shouldn't go there with any fears. I, I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, Stockport. Uh, you know they're they're going well. A fine two 0 win for them uh, at Bromley yesterday. Um, goal from Alex Reed and then another goal from John Rooney in the second half. Enough for them. And um, you know there's uh, you know they they're justifying uh, the early season predictions made for them. They've also got that FA Cup um tie with with West Ham I think don't think the draw had been made when we done the podcast last week but obviously they're into the third round they've got to be, be careful I guess not to get distracted by you know that that potential big occasion because um I, I don't see Jim Gallon's being the sort of manager who will let them get away with that to be perfectly honest and uh, Chris uh, Pratt can't join us today on the podcast and uh, uh we wish his wife well actually Jackie um after uh, a, a little bit of an accident at the weekend but um uh, I've got a quote here from Jim Gannon, but what Chris said in our WhatsApp group was it, it felt like one of the sweetest wins for Stockport yesterday because Bromley's a tough place to go at any time. And uh, Jim Gannon concurred with that. Uh, uh, Bromley's a really tough place to come, but we felt we had a chance if we worked hard. Perhaps at times we rode our luck, but we did the dirty side of the game and stuck to our task. In that regard, we were magnificent. The whole team put a shift in. Um and we all know, because we've watched it for many years, hard graft, a lack of errors and taking your chances when they come along. And if you can do that on a consistent basis, you've got a great chance in this league. Absolutely. And another team where many people tipped to go up Notts County, they're six points behind, as we mentioned earlier. And it was a big win for them at Meadow Lane. They beat Woking by a goal to nil, thanks to a fifth goal of the season by Kyle Wotton. He should have had six, but he had his penalty saved by Craig Ross and that's County. Maybe they're just going back to basic trouble. Like you say, maybe they're looking at the dirty side of it as well and not trying to be too expansive. You're absolutely right. Sometimes the most pleasing will, uh, wins are those one nil ones, you know, where you get, it's just one goal, but you keep a clean sheet, you get the three points for it. They obviously had to be patient yesterday. Um, I, I mean, to be fair to uh, Woking, um, I think Notts County only had eight efforts on goal in the whole game. Woking had five themselves, but none on target. I was a little surprised at the scoreline because I remember that game last year and I, I can't remember if it ended up 3-2 or 3 all. I thought it'd be high scoring, but it wasn't. And uh, I think um, Douse, Alan Dowson, the, the uh, Woking manager, was, was, was disappointed um, to, to come away with nothing in the end. More importantly for, for Notts County... That was their third consecutive uh, clean sheet now. And afterwards, Ardley was delighted with how his side cope with Woking's approach. He said they're second in the league at set pieces for and against. And that's not been our strength, but we coped well. And uh, that's really interesting because twice now in the last three games, 
Notts County have prevailed against sides that are tough, that are physical, that get in your face. And that does show some learning and some improvement, uh, you know, from Notts County and Ardley because they had got beaten by uh, Maidenhead, Dover and uh, Aldershot, who all got in their faces. Yeah, Maidenhead are level on points for Notts County. They continued their good away form. They won 1-0 at Eastley. Uh, Josh Corley wins award for clearest red card of the day as well. I don't know if you saw it, guys. Thanks that it was in injury time, but it was uh, basically, you know, when they say they put a player up in the air, well, the Eastley player ended up in the air. and uh, <laughs> It was a pretty agricultural challenge. He was last man as well and, and, and got the red card, but Maidenhead held on. So as I mentioned earlier, Bromley missed an opportunity to go level on points with Maidenhead and Notts County, as did Wealdstone. They drew nil-nil in a North London derby at Barnet, and it looked a much better performance for Barnet than the 5-2 defeat at Halifax on Tuesday. So plenty of positives in that sense. He kept a clean sheet as well, but it's seven games without a win for them. It is, but it's a big point for Barnet. Wilston went there in, in, in pretty decent form. And by all accounts, uh, a dozen or so efforts on goal yesterday, Barnet. A little bit wayward with their uh, finishing, but uh, they probably had the better of that. And they might have been a little frustrated at only getting the uh, the, the one point. Wildston boss Dean Brennan uh, said, uh, with our squad being totally depleted, I'm actually happy with this result. We did miss some fantastic chances. And on clear cut chances, it was probably 4-2 to us. And we could easily have had a penalty. Am I happy with how we played? Well, not really. I think we should have done better. But I'm happy enough with the result. And I respect the point. It's a, it's a point on the road for Wildstone. Um, they've had mixed form, but they're doing all right. They are doing OK. They're holding their own in this league, Tom. Yeah, they are. Um, and to be honest, I'm, I'm personally not that surprised by that. I think um, they, they had a very solid squad last year. Um, some of the defensive capabilities they've got, which is it's always key when you step up, isn't it? You've got to have that resolute solidity, and they definitely have that. The likes of Connor Stevenson, Jerome Akimo, Mitch Fetti at the back, they're really solid players. Uh, they've got a good solid midfield as well. Um, and last season, they had that sort of sprinkling of stardust across the National League uh, South. The likes of Jacob Mendy and Dennis Lewis, Ross Lafayette can always win you games. I think the goals scored have dried up, have not dried up, but dropped off a little bit this season. But that's to be expected because they're naturally coming up against better defenders. But the key is Dean Brennan has that solidity at the back and that's going to enable him to build for, for what should be um, you know, a lower mid-table, mid-table push, in my opinion. Yeah, it was a return of the excellent Northeast is Gus Mafoot, who spent last season at Halifax, scored both goals as Bournemouth picked up three vital points and it typically goes back and scores up there. He'd only scored nine goals in his whole career until Saturday. And I know Matt Smith on the BT Sport highlights decided the second goal as a blooter by Mafuta. And indeed it was. Uh, he absolutely <laughs> smoked it to the top corner. Don't know if you've seen it at all, but it was a great, great finish from him from a guy who doesn't score many goals. Yeah, great stuff. And have we missed anyone out? Of course we have. Golden shot. We saw them at Wrexham, didn't we, Rob? They played okay. Lack of cutting edge. And on Tuesday, again, as we mentioned earlier, they got a point, but didn't that much going forward. However, different story on Saturday. Yeah, I mean, the ultimate game of two halves and in the end, ridiculously, it could have ended uh, two all, but um, Aldershot put together their best 45 minutes in the first half. They absolutely blew Dagenham away. Seven or eight decent chances. They took two of them. Probably should have been three in game over, but they didn't. And the credit to uh, Dagenham and McMahony bought uh, two players on at half time, and they had a real go at it. Um, 
but they were trying to beat the brick wall that is Brad James, uh, Aldershot's uh, on loan goalkeeper from Middlesbrough, who's now uh, signed to stay on loan for the rest of the season. He he has been outstanding uh, since he's come. He's he's probably been the the most symbolic thing of uh, Aldershot's new kind of resilience, although the likes of Cody Lyons, Foster and Giles Phillips have been superb as well. But the quotes from the managers, courtesy of our friends at the non-league paper. Thanks for your support, guys. Um, if you wanted to know an example of why it was a game of two halves, just listen to this. Danny Sell, it would have been a travesty if we hadn't won. Um, we could have had four or five in the first half, but then we allowed them back into the game and had to show great resilience. Overall, we probably deserved the win. Um, and uh, Daryl McMahon, we created enough chances in the second half to have won two games. <laughs> but we've played well in the last couple of weeks. But that first half was a massive step backwards. Uh, and I was worried yesterday when I saw the uh, Dagenham forward line of uh, McCallum and, and Scott Wilson and Angelo Belanta. But uh, all the shot kept him quiet and Belanta was off at half time. And uh, yeah, not a great day at the races for the Daggers. Um, and for Danny Sells, all the shot, well, they, they're, they're up to a healthy mid-table position now. You never know quite how they're going to turn up each week, but it was a good one yesterday. And Rob caught up with Lewis Kinsella, the old shot defender who's currently out injured, to talk about the game against Dagenham and a couple of other things as well. I'm joined by uh, Aldershot Town left-back Lewis Kinsella. Lewis, we watched together um, a really, really potent performance from Aldershot today, particularly in the first half. Uh, three precious points for your teammates and... Uh, that was quite some first half performance, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the boys were brilliant first half. Um, probably the best first half that we've seen from the boys. Um, they took their chances, um, created a lot more. Um, defensively, we looked really good and we didn't look like we were going to concede at all in the first half. Perhaps the best example of that, that uh, fluidity was, was uh, in the transitions, really. Uh, from 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 back to front in four or five passes and really really incisive cutting Dagenham and Redbridge over uh, you know cutting through their lines over and over again. Yeah, and it was good football. It wasn't in the air. It was uh, three or four passes across the floor, zipped in, set, and then playing through the lines. And we got in and created chances that way. I think um, first and foremost we defended really well, and then with the football it was like a joy to watch. Great to have a chat with you for the NL Full-Time Podcast. Uh, you're out with a long-term injury at the moment. It's a, a medial cruciate ligament, isn't it? You're about eight weeks in. How's the uh, recovery going? Yeah, really good. I see the surgeon in two weeks um, to get an update. Um, but the physios think I'm about two weeks ahead of schedule, as it is now, so that's really good. I'm back walking without the crutches and the brace, which is brilliant, and hopefully I can start running within the next month. So you hope that uh, your teammates, of course, will keep up uh, the recent uh, resilience at the back and uh, performances going forward like today. Um, your first look at Dagenham and Redbridge today, undoubtedly they're underperforming against expectations, but it just goes to show, doesn't it, how tough it is to win this league. And it's not just about how much money you've got to spend on your, on your squad, but uh, your togetherness and uh, your desire and efficiency at both ends of the pitch. Yeah, look, they've got one of the biggest budgets in the league from what I'm hearing and they've recruited really well and on paper you'd say they're up there to, to be in the, in the playoffs if not trying to, to, trying to win the league. Um, I think it just shows that you need a real togetherness to, to get up and like you see last year with Barrow and Ian Everett, he had a style of play, he had the boys all on the same hymn sheet and that's how they got promoted and 
Um, I think that's massive and and that's massive in every league that's in English football. So after 11 games, uh, Aldershot sit 13th with 15 points, just three points off the playoffs. But when you look further up the table, there are two sides there in Sutton and Torquay that are really, really pulling away. And uh, what do you make of their start and uh, do you think they can sustain it? Yeah, Torquay, I think, like what I said earlier, that with Barrow, they have a style of play and the same as Torquay. Um, Gary Johnson's been in and out of this league before. He knows what a successful team needs. He got promoted from the south with the Torquay. Um, he had a season last year, getting the boys used to the league, and he's and he's and he's doing really well with them. I think they'll be up there, definitely challenging just through the way his team has together. It's a style of play that everyone knows each position in and out. But yeah, I think it would be a real competitive league this year. And Sutton, we saw them, of course, win at uh, the EBB Stadium earlier in the season. And uh, they remind me a little bit, some aspects of Macclesfield, who won the league two or three years ago, just very, very efficient and make very, very few mistakes. And uh, if you can do that at this level, um, you can compete at the right end. Yeah, consistency is key. And they seem to have found a formula that, that's doing really well. You wouldn't have said at the beginning of the season that they'd be up there. You probably would have said they'd be battling relegation, if not mid-table. So for them to be where they are, I think they're overachieving. But um, if they get up and do really well, if they get into the playoffs, that's that's brilliant for them. And uh, finally, while we've got a couple of minutes with you, uh, your old assistant gaffer James Rowe has just moved from Gloucester to Chesterfield. They drew, of course, last week nil-nil uh, with Aldershot. But uh, um, how do you think they'll do under Rowe? Do you think he'll uh, sort them out? Yeah, like, I like Rowie, he, he's, he's a good guy and I'm happy that he's got the job there. Um, I know that he'll be playing um, aggressive front foot defending football, um, a team that wants to play football the right way um, and he's got all the resources up there, a good training ground, a good budget, a lovely stadium. Um, it's destined for him to do well there and I think he will do well there. Are we worried for Dagenham? They've spent big this year and the, the minute it's not quite working out for them, is it? Yes and no. Um, I'm absolutely sure that they'll be okay. Um, however, it does have a little bit of a ring of the files from last season about it, doesn't it? You know, um, a big old tilt at it. There's no hiding that. You know, they've had a real throw of the dice to make sure they do get up at least into the playoffs this season. Um, and, you know, the owners of the club, the ambitious American owners of the club are going to want, demand and expect a lot better than they've given so far. So the final game on Saturday was a televised game between Weymouth and Halifax and it was eventful to say the least. Halifax came out the blocks and were 2-0 up early on uh, through Danny Williams and Niall Marr. And then uh, Halifax missed a few chances to go three or four. Weymouth came storming out the blocks in the second half, got one back through McQuaid. Uh, and then um, it was a fan run on the pitch and it disrupted the momentum. Now, I know Adam Virgo said that there's an idiot on the pitch. I wasn't sure which player he was on about, but it turns out he was on about a fan. Uh, but uh, <laughs> that, just, that just stalled the momentum. Halifax went on and got three more goals, the pick of them from Javaro Nepanichano. Uh, brilliant curling, curling effort. And eventually ran out five one winners. But, Tom, uh, it's the off-field stuff at Weymouth uh, after the game that's kind of caught the headlines, hasn't it? It is, yeah, unfortunately. And, and Weymouth released a statement post-match yesterday saying that um, because of some of the conduct of the supporters, um, and bear in mind, like, we know they're Weymouth fans because there's no away fans at games at the moment, um, that they're going to have to reduce the numbers that they can let in for their next match. Um, it is a shame because 
we've all been so excited about fans coming back in this weekend. Um, I, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but I, you know, it was such a great feeling at, at the Beverly, as I'm sure it was for all of you guys at whichever at the games that you were at. Um, but they put out a statement saying that uh, in consultation with the police uh, and the safety advisory group, they're going to be reducing fans for the next week's match. They're going to make a decision on what level they go to on Monday. And that's because people were refusing to acknowledge the social distancing requirements, despite the club doing what it could in terms of repeated announcements by PAs and stewards' requests for people to move around the ground. Um, people have been smuggling alcohol into the ground. Um, people were smoking. Uh, you know, you can't smoke in the ground even without COVID. Uh, so it's it seems like at the end of the day, the clubs, and I've seen it firsthand, as I'm sure you guys have at your clubs, how hard the volunteers have worked to get the grounds ready. Um, to get them COVID safe, to get them up to spec for the councils. And then for some, I will say probably a minority of supporters, to just disregard what they're expected to do. I think it's just it's just sad, isn't it? It is, Tom, and, and it's so frustrating as well because there will have been a group of supporters of, of, of all, all the clubs, all the non-league clubs that would have stood back and watched yesterday, like maybe just didn't feel confident enough to go back to the first game and they wanted to see how it goes and you know, um, things will run very, very well at Aldershot, I know. But they did have to put an announcement out at one point that uh, uh, reminded people that alcohol wasn't allowed in the ground and that you can't smoke or vape. And th- th- this is what's really crazy, because as you say, you can't you can't do these things normally. It's almost like some people just couldn't couldn't uh, really deal with the fact that that um, it's like it's over, so we're back and that's it. Let's just crack on and do what we want. It was pretty well behaved. I think one of the biggest issues for clubs, um, they can control the number of people coming into the ground. It's very easy with the seating to make sure they're positioned correctly, but it's quite hard in the areas where they congregate. Um, You know, uh, the fans naturally want to congregate together and sing together and and, and, uh, get behind their team and make the loudest noise they can. I suppose it's easier in a, in a bigger ground and all seater stadium where you can like map out the rows, but somewhere like Weymouth, where a lot of it's standing on a terrace, and it is difficult. And I'm guessing the moral of the story is it's social responsibility at the end of the day, isn't it? Now you've got the football clubs have done all they can. They've put the safety measures in place. They've put sanitizers around the ground. They told you to wear masks. And it's up to the people at the end of the day to take responsibility for that and, and to keep other people safe and, and to make people feel that it is comfortable to go to football. Hundred percent, and and I think you know the term "use social responsibility" is, is absolutely spot on. Um, I think we we have this problem. In, not it's not a problem, but it is at the moment. This problem in non-league that fans switch ends at half time because you know because we don't have the segregated seating, the segregated areas. Fans switch end; they want to be behind the team, the end their team's shooting at. And you know, I have to say, we only had an attendance of ninety-seven at Hampton and Richmond yesterday. They only opened up to people who'd bought their season tickets um, from last season. Um, but the social distancing was very well respected. Uh, it's difficult not to socially distance when there's only 97 of you in the ground. Um, but I'm sure most clubs, when they look at it, will have they'll have had little pockets of fans, particularly behind the goals, who would have congregated there um, because it's what people do. It's, it's what we've seen for decades, you know, in football. What we what we mustn't miss out on, and uh, I'm sure we all felt it, but we must really share it on the podcast. It was amazing to have fans back. The uh, the line that I used in commentary was, "It's like we've been watching in black and white, and all of it, and, and and muted, and now all of a sudden we're watching in colour, and someone's turned the volume up." It was, it was tremendous. You know, when the uh, you know the the chance of the Aldershot fans 
uh, struck up from the East Bank end just before the game, it actually made hairs stand on end because we haven't heard it for so long. Um, it is a, there's a bit of an emotion in there, isn't it, when you hear it? There is. We're kind of coming out the other, but I think it's more a realisation of we're kind of coming out on the other side as well, isn't it? And, and we have got through it all together. We've all been patient and this is our reward now for it. Absolutely. Um, I'm just looking at uh, the, the, the actual attendance information. Yeah, I think the, there's three or four published in the non-league paper, just under the thousand at Aldershot and uh, at Sutton and at Torquay and one or two other games, of course, still because of their tier played behind closed doors. Um, for example, you know, Notts County um, against Woking. I, I, I was going to try and hit you with what the biggest attendance was, but uh, uh, in fairness, it's been a while since reporters have been reporting attendances and one or two clubs might have been, been reluctant to publish their attendances. It isn't just Weymouth, you know. Uh, I've just seen a tweet from the commercial manager at Hunger for Town saying, uh, to our fans that were at the game yesterday, thank you for following the Spectators Code. For getting the match, getting our fans back to our priority, apart from the odd ones or two that thought they knew better, everyone abided by the Spectator Code. You're always going to get the odd one or two. I think one of the difficulties is that stewards, they're, they're not allowed to kick people out for not following COVID regulations. So the clubs themselves are actually quite limited. It almost becomes incumbent on supporters and, and those of us at the game to say to people, step up, like move away, move down. You can yeah. spoil it for all of us if you don't. Well, we're going to move on and look at the National League South next. I've looked after my kids since they were born. Now they've got kids. I still want to look after them. I don't want them struggling to make decisions about my money or my health if I can't. So we made a lasting power of attorney. Now, if I can't speak for myself, they'll speak for me. It's a weight off for all of us, isn't it? Yes, Mum. <laughs> Lasting power of attorney. Search your voice, your decision. In the National League South, just six games took place on Saturday, but the biggest game was down on the South Coast as Eastbourne beat league leaders Dartford by three goals to one. Charlie Kendall, Chris Weltdale and the Australian Joe Rollington getting the goals with a solitary play from Jacob Berkeley Adjapond. And that is a statement win for Eastbourne, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely a statement for Eastbourne Borough. Um, and it's a win that takes them up into fourth in the table. Uh, it, it also keeps things really tight at the top. I think had Dartford won, they'd be five points ahead, admittedly having played a game more than Dorking. But that's a really, uh, really good win for Eastbourne. And on a day when there was a few upsets, actually, um, Charlie Kendall with the, uh, with the opener, um, he's been a real breath of fresh air since he came in on loan from uh, Queen's Park Rangers at the beginning of the season. I think that's his fourth league goal of the season, correction, correction fifth league goal of the season. Uh, Chris Welpdale as well has, has really added to the squad from Chelmsford. I think. Uh, one of the things I'd just say as well on, on as you say, there's only six games that went ahead, two postponements, one at Ebbsfleet and one at Braintree. One at Braintree, of note, that's their first waterlogged pitch postponement since 2017. Wow. When 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 they had an awful lot of games postponed because of waterlogged pitches. So another shock, as you mentioned, Tom, there's quite a few. Jerry Gill, he's been under massive pressure at Brath recently, but they pulled off the result of the day as they went to Meadowbank Park and beat Darkin. It did, yeah, and it was um, good for really important for them that Tom Smith's back in the goals as well. Um, he got the winner on the seventy-first minute, or uh, well, what turned out to be the winner, because Phil Potter didn't get talkings uh, till another another fifteen minutes. But Tom Smith was so crucial for them last season. He was the National League South Player of the season, um, but he's not really got up and running yet this campaign. So for him to be among the goals is really crucial for Bath, and and it's the sort of thing that they'll be looking to as a catalyst to move them up the table. Um, 
it's getting super interesting down at the bottom there. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about Dulwich later, but they've really pulled themselves away at the moment. We've got four teams down at the bottom joined on six points in Welling, Bath, Concord and Braintree. Um, so that was a really important win for Bath because even though it is still early in the season, they don't want to be looking at the table and seeing themselves three points adrift. Um, I said a few weeks ago, I think it's ridiculous that Jerry Gill's under pressure. I think what he's achieved at Bath is, is second to none. I think he's been a really good manager for them. Um, and he's got the quality in his squad and it will show through. Um, and, and as I said a few weeks ago, I think after the Hampton game, if we have this conversation in two months' time, we'll all be looking back and saying, well, what was, what was the fuss about? At the end of the day, we're still, for Bath, eight games into the season. It, it, was a, it was a funny old day for results in the National League South because obviously with a limited number of fans returning, there were certain games that you'd have thought with or without fans would have been home bankers. One was that Dorking game against Bath. Uh, another one was um, Hungerford, you know, based on form this season against Dulwich Hamlet. But uh, as you rightly say, Tom, um, a good win, a really good morale-boosting win for, for, for Dulwich. And first time probably we've looked at Hungerford scoreline this season and, and thought that it was a shock result because they lost. Yeah, definitely. Um, but we, we need to sort of take a bit of an account of Hungerford in that they had that fantastic start to the season, didn't they? But they've not won in four now. Um, they've lost three in a row, Dulwich, Oxford, Dartford. And before that, they drew against St Albans. Um, you know, I'm not, not suggest the wheels are coming off for Danny Robinson there at all. Absolutely not. You know, they're still looking like a, a good side. Uh, they're still in the playoff zone. Nothing to worry about. But maybe we need to start accepting that they're, you know, that early season start where they were right at the top was maybe a bit of an aberration. We can expect to see them become more of a, you know, a mid-table side over the next few months. I, I don't know. Um, but for Dulwich, that's really, really important win. Um, they've now got themselves uh, four games undefeated, two wins on the bounce, and crucially, their wins have been against uh, Bath and Hungerford, uh, sides that they, if they can keep getting their wins, they can look to be you know, competing with in that mid-table arena. Yeah, Andre Blackman, yeah. Sanchez Ming and Tyrese Hyde scoring the goals there for Gavin Rose's men. Yeah. And now with Dartford and Dawkins both somewhat surprisingly uh, losing on Saturday, it was a massive opportunity for a couple of the teams in the chasing pack to uh, close the ground on them. And uh, Tom, we've got to come to it. Um, Hampton and Richmond and St Albans, both in the playoff positions, uh, didn't go the way at the Beavery. It didn't, no. Um, it, it didn't. And at the end of the day, in my opinion, St Albans City are the best side I've seen Hampton play. Uh, this season, I think they're, they're a really solid outfit. They defend well when they hit sides well on the counter-attack. Just look at when those goals were scored. Minute 45, yeah. minute 90. That's two absolute sucker punches just before the referee's whistle. Um, Mitchell Weiss got his fourth goal of the season. He's been uh, you know, breath of fresh air since he made the step up from Kings Langley. Um, and for a side that were 21st last season to currently be third with two games and three games in hand, respectively, on the teams above them, is a real achievement for, for Ian Allenson. Um, I would say that that was Hampton and Richmond Borough in great form, but they're not necessarily bringing it home with them. Um, They've got five wins away on the bounce, but they've only got one win at home so far this season. Um, They need to fix that and, and, you know, they they are working hard on doing so. And and it could have been so different yesterday. Um, Michael Johnson, who we'll hear from shortly, he made a fantastic save from Nathan Minhas uh, in about the fifth minute. 
And then on 14 minutes, uh, so I think on 10 minutes, Rui Donaldson scored uh, when he was put through by Wilson Carvalho, which was given offside by the referee. Now, the video footage post-match has shown that it was about a metre onside. He was clearly behind the ball when it was played. This this isn't a complaint. Those things happen in football, particularly in non-league football, where there's no VAR or anything, but it's fine margins. If those goals had gone in when Hampton were on top, we'd be looking at 2-0 up inside 10 minutes, and then I think you've got a very different outcome. So, you know, those fine margins, they're clicking away. They'll start to click at home. Um, But the story there is St Albans, um, and what an achievement from them so far this season to be sitting in third place um, and still the only undefeated team in the top six tiers of English football. Yeah, and we'll hear now from the St Albans goalkeeper, MJ himself, Michael Johnson. I'm joined by St Albans City goalkeeper Michael Johnson, who kept yet another clean sheet yesterday in a 2-0 win away at Hampton and Richmond Borough. Um, First off, congratulations on the win, Michael. Um, Was that how you saw the game going? Uh, Thank you, of course. Um, I think it's the way, it's the kind of pattern of how our games have gone in that we can absorb a bit of pressure um, and we've not really played at our best in the majority of the games we've played we've just kind of ground out results um, and yesterday was a similar game we especially the first sort of 25-30 minutes we weren't really in the game um, Hampton were on top probably only had two clear-cut chances um, obviously being one that I saved and this loud goal um, and then, and then we just take our chance when it comes um, and then we become a really good counter-attacking team and we don't tend to see too often so I feel like once we go one up with the game a lot of boys are fairly confident that we can see the games out at the moment um, obviously it'd be nice to go two three up with games a bit earlier but it, it's proven the right thing to do at the moment and we keep winning yeah, you, you absolutely do. And uh, you talked about that sort of pressure that Hampton had at the start yesterday. Um, you made what I thought was a really important save around 10 minutes in from Nathan Minas. Um, you've made a bit of a habit of doing this this season and you've been in the team of the week quite a few times. Um, you made your move from Braintree this summer. How important was it to take that sort of step up for you uh, career-wise this, this summer? Um, to be fair, at the time it was a big risk because obviously Braintree and St Albans didn't finish too far away from each other. Um, and obviously I played against St Albans once before the lockdown happened and we beat 3 0 at their own ground. So it was, it was a risk, but to be honest, speaking to Ian before the season started, he kind of made me feel really wanted um, from beyond. And I kind of spoke to people that knew him, knew of him, around obviously the area that I'm from, so he's quite local. Um, and it just felt like it was the right thing to do um, and in terms of on the pitch it's it's not just me it's not like I'm, I'm making 8, 9 say, say the game it's maybe 2, 3 or 4 um, and, and it's the, the boys in front of me they've, they've all stepped up and listened to what I want them to do and just trust me to, to organise them in the way that I want them and that's obviously free from rewards and it has shown its benefits so far yeah, and you can see it in the results, can't you? I think I agree the likes of Tom Bender, Michael Clark, Kyron Wiltshire were all very, very impressive yesterday. But the proof of the pudding's in the eating. You're now the only side unbeaten in the top six tiers of English football. Um, was that something that you thought might happen at the start of the season? Um, I honestly didn't know what to expect um, before pre-season started. I was, I was just happy to be the closest team to my home in, in this division. 
um, and that travel so much to and from games and training. Um, but once once we started, everyone got together and we went for our pre-season unbeaten. Um, we kind of had good feels. I think we played three uh, national prem teams in a row. Our last three games of pre-season, I think it was Kingsland, uh, Willstone and Sutton United and we didn't lose to any of them and we felt like we were more than the match of the day for the game. Um, and it kind of just led to a, a, a good feeling going into the season and it's it's kind of proven right having a bit of a longer pre-season with more friendlies has kind of led us to hit, hit the ground running um, and have a really, really good start. Yeah, definitely. And so you, you sit here two points off the top of the table with two games in hand on Dorking and three games in hand on Dartford. Next up is Oxford City. Um, there seems to be a real confidence in your squad at the moment. Are you aiming? Do you, do you think promotion is the aim now? Uh, I would say it's, it's still very early. We're only nine games into the season. There's still 37 odd games to go. Um, obviously, I think anyone would have taken our start and we're very grateful to have had it. Um, but if we don't build on it, then it's all worthless. Um, end of the season is, is when we're going to define how good and how worthwhile the start was. Um, of course, I think at the start of any season, your aim is always to go playoffs. Um, if you don't aim for that, then what really is your ambition? Um, so yeah, I'd say that is the aim. Um, anything more is minus. Obviously, we've got a big squad. I wouldn't say everyone's on loads and loads of money compared to other teams and what they're paying out in this league and what they can do. Like your Dolphins and Dawkins and such. But uh, it's nice to be up there competing with the big boys um, and long may continue. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, congratulations on your start of the season and uh, look forward to seeing how the rest of it goes. That was Michael Johnson. And, and as as we mentioned, Hampton remain in fifth place. And I know Enter Shakiri tweeted about the result with the, uh, the sort of they were holding up the muscles emoji. They, they were absolutely delighted as well. Yeah, they are, of course, for those who, who don't know, they're the sponsors of uh, St Albans City's football kit this season. Um, it was billed as the battle of the battle of the sponsors as Footmob App, who I think are one of the, the really engaged sponsors of the division. They sponsored Hampton and Richmond Borough, went up against Enter Shikari, um, and it was Enter Shikari who came on, out on top. Just one season. other game in the National League South yesterday. All the goals coming in the last uh, 27 minutes or so. Chippenham went 2-0 up, Chris Zabrowski on the score sheet, but they were pegged back by uh, Slough, who ultimately see that as a decent point on the road. Goals from Harris and Togwell equalising uh, on uh, on full time. And also, haven't their stock in the playoffs? It was all right for them as Tommy scored a hat-trick against Chelmsford. Uh, 3-1 win for them. That's a lovely little segue, Luke. I'm really impressed with that. All right on the night. Brilliant. Um, Tommy Wright, yeah, he's a, he's a quality footballer, isn't he? Um, so, hat-trick for him. And then, of note, Charlie Sheringham, got the uh, consolation for Chelmsford. They're really struggling for goals at the moment. Um, they brought in Charlie Sheringham from Dartford this week on loan. Um, Dartford have, have really changed things up in the forward line. Um, they started the season with Elliot Romain, Jack Barham and Charlie Sheringham. In the last two weeks, they've also brought in Alfie Pavey and Chris Dixon from Hornchurch. So, you know, with all five of them, I know they've sent obviously Sheringham out on loan, but with all five of them, that's quite a, quite a potent forward line. So let's move on now to the National League North. And in the National League North, none of the top three won in midweek. Both Gloucester and Fylde had home draws and Kidderminster were defeated at home to Kettering. None of them played on Saturday for various reasons and it was a mixed day for the chasing pack. And we'll start off with the highest placed team before kickoff, and that was your boys, Dickie, 
They went up to Farsley, who had had a slow start to the season. They've now won three games on the bounce, so. Yeah, they did, and, and Telford found it difficult yesterday. It was um, a 2-0 win for Farsley in the end. Um, I think the overriding feeling, certainly from uh, Telford's Gavin Cowan afterwards, his, his team basically didn't play the conditions and, and, and the style of play that he, he briefed them about before the game, really. Um, found themselves a goal down within the first 20 minutes um, from uh, a Jimmy Spencer header. Um, and then they had plenty of op- uh, plenty of territory, plenty of possession, but couldn't make any of it count. Um, had Don McHale sent off 10 minutes from time for a second yellow card. Um, and then, yeah, conceded a, a second goal from Dave Sires right at the death, really, that, that killed it. And, um, yeah, ultimately, um, uh, you know, Fosley set them a test and they, they weren't equal to it. So Leek Fragging Telford into fourth, as Gates said, it looked like Greg Ollie's goal was going to be enough down at Leamington, but... Again, they conceded late on. That's two or three times they've done that now, Gates said, in the last few weeks. And another good point for Leamington. It is a good point for Leamington. And I think I've got three words written down here. Never say die. And I think that that sums up Leamington. You know, we, we say it virtually every week. But yeah, um, Gates had led through Greg Ollie's goal, which I think came round about on the hour mark. But... Uh, um, yeah, you, you write Leamington off at your peril and Junior English headed their leveller in the 90th minute. I think there's a photo on social media and his own manager, Paul Holleran, commenting about how lucky they are to have him in their group. He's, he's hurling himself headlong to, to, to get the ball over the line with his head in amongst the boots and the bodies. And, and that, that kind of sums Leamington up, to be perfectly honest. You know, they, they will not lie down and, and they're on a really, really good run of form at the moment. I mean, they're their return after a long COVID break looked like it was going south after the you know being three 0 down to Alfred at half time, but but that second half recovery to win that game four three seems to have absolutely inspired them and um, yeah they're they're going very well at the moment. But but the Gates have had some good news this week as well. They've extended Jed Garner's loan from from Fleetwood for a little longer. That's meant. Um, JJ O'Donnell, who's a, a, certainly a fan's favourite at Gates, had going out on loan to Blythe Spartans, which I know. Um, uh, you know, a few supporters were a bit puzzled about, but I think it's basically down to, to lack of opportunities and 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 the, and the fact that you know in Ghana they seem to have found the the, the 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 source of goals that they perhaps have lacked for a while, and it's just a case of having to move one out to get one in. I think Mike Williamson were really frustrated, won't we? Because they said would really be up there if I saw them lose at Farsley last minute in a game they dominated. Then they were two up against Brackley the week after and drew two two. And then Saturday, as we mentioned just there, Leamington. I mean, that's um, that's some points dropped there, isn't it? It is, and especially as a former defender, you know, he, I, I can't imagine that, um, you know, he'll be clean sheets. You know, you'll take a pride in that. And, and the fact that his team aren't able to, or haven't been able to keep them will be a frustration to him. We know also as well that that, that lack of goal-scoring power has been a bit of a, a, an issue for Gateshead in that, you know, if you are going to have a tendency to concede at least one goal a game, then you, you need to be popping one in at the other end. I think Rory Keating's moved on for that same reason to create room for, for Garner to come in. So, um, but yeah, I guess Gateshead are doing what they did last season, which was very quietly just positioning themselves in the playoff places. And, and, you know, that, that they'll, they'll be a, a dangerous side. Absolutely. No question of that. It's so congested, so tightly congested behind, isn't it? Spennymore are in a good position. They're seventh in the table after a good three-one win over Curzon Ashton, and they have a few games in hand over the teams above them as well. 
Yeah, they do, you know, and, and it, the, the table's kind of adjusting itself a little bit now in the, in the um, teams that we didn't expect to be up there um, are, are maybe falling away a little bit and, and the teams that we did expect to be up there are starting to sort of uh, gather their forces and, and, and move in the right direction. That was certainly the case for Spanningmore yesterday. Um, two goals for Rab, Rob Ramshaw um, and a, a, a late goal from Ben McKenna sealed it 3-1. I know Kurz and Ashton had a, a goal from a debutant, Harry Flowers. He was on loan from Brackley Town. I'll throw in a bit of a fact about him as well. He's grandson of former England international and 1966 World Cup squad member, Ron Flowers, who also was a player manager at my own club, Telford. So I'd like to get a mention in for them. Brilliant. Yeah, uh, good fact there. Dickie, on, the, on this podcast, we can always rely on you for that. <laughs> Uh, down at the bottom, it's another defeat for Blythe, and surprisingly, Geisley once again also lost. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, Blythe um, went down 2 1 um, at Kettering. I know we've spoken about the, the Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney effect uh, at Wrexham. Well, Blythe have Michael Kane and Kurt Russell amongst their uh, their squad, but unfortunately, it's not that it wasn't the Hollywood ending for them yesterday. Kurt Russell actually on um, the score sheet yesterday, but that was um, only in reply to, to earlier goals from Ross Fryatt and, and new signing Callum Powell. And ultimately, Blythe head up the A1 with, with very little to show for their trip yeah you mentioned Geisley there as well um they 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 lost at, at Telford last weekend and um yeah home defeat for them yesterday against an improving Brackley Town side they led as well the Brunnen Becker putting them ahead in the second half but Shane Byrne leveled only four minutes after that one Ethan Coleman put Brackley ahead on 88 minutes and then Wes York added a third right on the stroke of uh the the full-time whistle and um yeah that that's a positive result for Brackley we've spoken about them being slow starters but again you know you suspect that that win is just going to get them heading in the right direction yeah Charlie now five unbeaten and they'd have been singing in the airway dressing room once again as they picked up a really good win at Boston's new home and I think Boston had fans in there as well uh, Connor Hall not that one Rob calm down and Scott Leather with the goals there yeah, no, unfortunately, no fans allowed at Boston yesterday. Um, I think that was a, you know, a big disappointment for their, their possible housewarming party that they weren't allowed to actually invite any guests. Um, and they, they ended up with no points as well. Yeah, you, you've mentioned those two goals from, from Hall and Leather. And, you know, surely are starting to um, put a little bit of space between them and the teams at the bottom as well. Of course, they've got their, their big FA Cup date with Derby County to look forward to uh, early in 2021. But uh, um, Jamie Vermiglia won't want his side distracted by that, as, as, as thrilling as that is. He'll know that, you know, the league is their bread and butter and, the, and they need to um, start getting putting some wins together. And, and that's exactly what they're starting to do. Boston, I'd say they, they've had a, a big period of inactivity. I think they're one of the teams with the fewest amount of games played yet still. Um, so they've got games in hand, but the, uh, only a point from a nil-nil with, with Gloucester in midweek and then dropping um, points at home yesterday. You know, it's not ideal for them, but they'll be confident they've got enough games in hand to, to move up the table. Dickie, there was a, an interesting game as well between York and Chester, both sides who would expect to be up there. Yeah, it was. York are another one of those teams like Boston that have got games in hand. I think they've only played seven so far, but they've 
moved up into the top half of the table. And yeah, a 2-1 win over Chester yesterday. Goals from Harry Bourne and Akil Wright, which I think was his first goal for York. Um, they separated a, a, an equaliser from Chester from Declan Weeks in the second half. Uh, yeah, but ultimately that that the, those two goals were enough to to get the three points for York and and you know Chester they're, they're not too far away but you know I'm sure they're 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 not entirely happy with how they're standing at the moment but it's it, they're two sides you've had a very stop start last few weeks so I think we're probably not seeing you know the the, the true face of either of them at the moment and finally Southport I think the one of the few nationally north sides along with Telford who can have fans back in the stadium. Obviously, Telford haven't had a home game since. They, they lost in midweek to Farsley after having fans in. Um, and they played Alfredton on Saturday. Yeah, they did. So, uh, they, they had fans in again. I don't think the attendance was given. In fact, having a quick look through the non-league paper, there was only one um, game where an attendance was quoted yesterday in the North, which was 647 at Kettering. But yeah, there, there, there would have been fans in at Southport yesterday, but they, they would have been... Um, I'm relieved, perhaps disappointed in equal measure as well. Um, a 1-1 draw with Alfreton. Bobby Johnston gave the visitors the lead after half an hour and it took until the 93rd minute before Jordan Archer equalised to get a point for Liam Watson's side. Certainly not as much as they would have been hoping for, but you know, after after a, a defeat in midweek at home as well, they'd have been very um, pleased to have not made that two home losses on the bounce, certainly in front of the, of the supporters when they were allowed back into the ground. It was good to see an archer on target as well. Ooh, <laughs> Tom and Rob, thanks for, uh, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having but, me as ever. Yeah, pleasure as always and uh, great background, Tom. I've got to fix mine, I think. <laughs> kitchen, yeah. kitchen ceiling's not great. Mine needs work, definitely. <laughs> I like yours. You've got is that barbecue tools as well. No, it's medals. It's oh. medals. <laughs> yeah. Nice. I think that what I thought it was says a lot about my lifestyle versus yours. <laughs> well, on that note, well, uh, that is it. Thank you very much for listening to us on the NL Full Time. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Look after yourselves and we'll see you all very soon. Mm-hmm.